0: This month on the UMBC Observatory podcast, Ankar tells us about the Cassini Space Probe, Katie Ann keeps us up to date with the latest space news, and Roy tells us what to look for in the May sky.
1: Hello, my name is Ankar Aki, and I will be covering this month's mission segment. This month, we are discussing the Cassini spacecraft and its mission to Saturn. The Cassini Saturn orbiter had launched alongside Hugen, the Titan lander, on October 15, 1997. Titan is the largest out of Saturn's 82 moons. To date, Cassini was the fourth space probe to visit Saturn. Other notable space probes to visit Saturn include Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. Both Cassini and Huguen helped us learn more about the ring planet Saturn and about its moon Titan in much more detail than we had ever had before. The Cassini Huguen Space Research Mission was a collaborative effort between NASA and the Italian Space Agency, or ASI, and the European Space Agency otherwise known as the ESA. The goal of the space mission was to study the planet Saturn, Saturn's rings, and Titan. Cassini entered Saturn's orbit on December 25th, 2004, and then the moon Titan's orbit on January 14, 2005, after a nearly seven-year interplanetary journey. Once in orbit, the Huygens-Titan lander separated from Cassini and descended to Titan's surface. From there, the Huygens lander was able to send Earth a data about the moon by using Cassini as a relay. The dynamic duo was able to send 635 gigabytes of scientific data that they had collected, of which were 453,048 images. Fun fact, at this point in time, the Huygens lander was the first successful landing to have occurred in the outer solar system. Cassini's total mission duration was 19 years and 335 days after several mission extensions and had traveled a total of 4.9 billion miles since its launch. At the end of Cassini's mission, the spacecraft was deliberately sent into Saturn's atmosphere on September 15, 2017 to prevent possible contamination of Saturn's moons. The lessons learned from the Cassini mission proved to be invaluable as they are being applied to this day by space agencies for future missions, such as NASA's Europa Clipper mission planned to launch in the 2020s. Cassini and Hugens was an incredible joint achievement in space exploration and will continue to provide lessons and guidance for many more interplanetary missions to come. Thank you for joining me and see you next month for another mission.
2: Hello everyone, my name is Katie Ann and I will be talking to you about current events. First, A lot has been going on in space, but instead of opening with our usual International Space Station update, we're actually going to talk about the most recent Mars mission. For the first time ever, we have had liftoff on another planet. That's right, NASA's helicopter, Ingenuity, has successfully had a first flight on the red planet. There were several different things that made this mission so complicated, including the fact that Mars' atmosphere is significantly thinner than ours. As a result, this makes generating lift for the helicopter motors incredibly difficult. The engineers at NASA spent years working on simulating and perfecting the technology that was needed in order to achieve liftoff under these extreme conditions. If you look at NASA's simulation pages for the Ingenuity helicopter, you can see that the rotor blades on this helicopter don't look like what you would see on Earth. This is because, since Mars' atmosphere is so much thinner than ours, scientists at NASA had to come up with a new way in order to achieve enough lift to get ingenuity off of the ground. What made this easier for the scientists is that Mars' gravitational pull isn't nearly as strong as Earth's, which in turn means that there isn't as much force that's going to be pulling the helicopter down. So while generating lift is more difficult on Mars, not as much lift was needed to be generated. Ingenuity is working alongside Perseverance to try and study more about the Martian environment and atmospheric conditions. Next is our usual update on what's happening on the International Space Station. On May 1st, the crew that had been working on the space station returned to Earth by using the SpaceX capsule, Another amazing feat. This is the first time in history that we have had a commercial craft get both astronauts to space and bring them back on Earth. And not just one astronaut, but an entire crew of astronauts. The astronauts landed in the Gulf of Mexico at 2.56 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. The crew also set a record for the longest commercial mission in space, which was five months long. By using the spacecraft technology that SpaceX has developed, NASA aims to have the United States-controlled portion of the International Space Station fully staffed at all times, now that the resources are here again to do it. Previously, before 2011, with the space shuttle program that was being run by NASA, the United States portion of the International Space Station was regularly fully staffed. But once the program was closed due to budget concerns, this was no longer the case, and NASA has been struggling for the past decade to figure out what will be the best way to get American astronauts back up into space.
0: My name is Roy, and I'm here to introduce the final segment of our May 2021 podcast with a description of the nighttime sky as seen from Baltimore. As always, I encourage you to think of this as current events in the sky for the time between May 5th and June 2nd, 2021. Continuing the trend from last time, the sun continues to be setting farther and farther north of west with each passing day toward the summer solstice, which will be around June 21st. We've mentioned equinoxes and solstices before on this podcast, but it's fun to point out that there are a total of four such events. Spring and autumn give us equinoxes, and summer and winter give us solstices. These are the so-called quarter days. Before the calendar as we know it, it was important to keep track of these days to mark the passage of time throughout the year. It was so important that the cross-quarter days, the days halfway between the solstices and the equinoxes, were also given relative importance. These cross-quarter days, projected onto our current calendar, fill those festivities around Groundhog Day... May Day, a more or less forgotten August 1st holiday where grain could begin to be harvested, and then Halloween. As such, we just passed a cross-quarter day, so we're halfway through astronomical spring and on our way to summer. These periods of time were celebrated in many cultures around the world since all cultures could observe the movement of the sun throughout the year and therefore mark what we call today the equinoxes and the solstices. These cross-quarter days I've mentioned here come mainly from the tradition of the British Isles, so we'd be happy to learn about others. Due to this change in season that we mentioned here and last time, and as a result of the movement of the sun through our sky, we're getting longer and longer daytime lengths as we approach the summer solstice. Put another way, we actually get less time to observe the stars at night. We begin May with about 10 hours of twilight and dark skies, and we'll end May with just over only 8 hours of darker skies. The May through July skies in the Northern Hemisphere are actually notoriously boring. In fact, an old European astronomer once remarked, God must have hated us Northern astronomers to put us in the Northern Hemisphere and all the interesting objects only visible from the South. Either way, we can still hope to catch some of the bright wintertime stars before they set and see some of the late summer stars as they rise. From the winter and early spring, we have the stars Betelgeuse, Procyon, and Sirius, as well as their companion this year, Mars. These objects will all be in the southwestern sky, ready to set just around sunset at 8pm. If we here in Maryland luck out and get some nice weather on May the 17th, we may actually be able to spot Mercury as it approaches its farthest eastern point in the sky in our skies. This is appropriately called Mercury's point of greatest eastern elongation. Since the orbit of Mercury is only about 90 days, we'll get many more opportunities to see Mercury in the sky. In fact, halfway through this period, we'll leave us on July 4th with Mercury's greatest point of western elongation, but we'll have to be up at sunrise to see that. These greatest points of elongation signal to us that Mercury is farthest from the sun in our skies, and therefore Mercury is at its best time to see as the sun is below the horizon. We can see eastern elongations when the sun is setting, and western as the sun is rising. This is actually true also for Venus, but Mercury being closer to the sun than Venus makes it especially important to be able to spot Mercury in the sun's glare. You may have also heard that the moon has been pretty super these past few weeks, and I'm happy to report that it will continue to be super for the coming months. As a bit of background, the Anglo-Germanic word for month is based on the word for moon, since it takes just about that period of time for the moon to complete one of its orbital periods and therefore appear the same in the Earth's skies. We therefore average one full moon a month, and in April, May, and June, these full moons will also be supermoons. This means that the moon is approaching or has just left a special point called perigee, the moon's closest approach to the Earth. And at this closest approach, the moon is in its full phase. The moon actually moves through perigee once a month as it goes around its not perfectly circular orbit around the Earth. And pretty regularly, the full moon phase happens at the same time. So have no fear. These full moons do actually make the moon slightly larger and therefore brighter in the Earth's nighttime sky, but by an amount many of us would need to really pay attention to notice. It's still a full moon, though, so it's always worth having a look. May's supermoon will be on the morning of May 26th, and the new moon will be half a month before that on May 11th. It's near this new moon phase where we can hope to see the most stars unobscured by the bright moonlight. The brightest stars we'll see as the spring nights continue on are the stars Arcturus, Spica, and Vega. Arcturus is a reddish sort of star, pointed to by the handle of the Big Dipper from the northern sky. Arcturus will culminate in the southern sky between 11pm and midnight as a part of the constellation Buodes. Arcturus will also be above the bright star Spica in the constellation Virgo. Virgo, as one of the zodiac constellations, marks the passage of the planets, sun, and moon through our skies. As a result, the moon will be very close to Spica in the sky on May 23rd, just after sunset, in the southern sky. So go have a look. Vega is the next bright star to rise. It'll do so before midnight and be visible high in the sky all night after. Right around 2 a.m., Jupiter and Saturn will rise again as well, giving us a sneak peek of the planets we can hope to see this summer. If you're looking for help finding these stars or planets in the sky, please see our show notes page at observatory.umbc.edu. Otherwise, thanks for listening to me. Connect the dots up there and look for our next podcast on June the 2, 2nd, 2021. If you've got any comments or questions, or just want to let us know that you're listening, please feel free to send an email our way to observatory at umbc.edu.